If you have been following this podcast so far, you should have a sense of how to form an argument, uh, how to prove your point, and how to rebut an argument. So with just this background knowledge, you and your friends are actually ready to do a full-on debate. So today, we would be introducing to you a popular form of debate format called British Parliamentary Style, or also known as BP. So hey everyone, welcome to the Debate 101 series of This Housewood, a podcast on all things debate related. I'm Nicole Chu. And I'm Noah Pino. To start, uh, where is it normally used? Like, Where is this BP style normally used? And how often is it used? So BP is really, really common in the university circuit. And it's also becoming increasingly common in the high school circuit. Now, I know the audience for this podcast will mix a lot between teachers or coaches looking for resources for younger kids, or maybe um, older high school kids or university students looking to get a head start or to catch up. This is definitely the podcast episode for you if you're in the latter group, because BP is very, very common. It's a great way to practice. And it's the format that most high school tournaments organized by universities tend to be in as well. Um, It's also very common outside of Canada as well. Now that tournaments are online, you have a really great opportunity to compete all over the world without having to pay a huge amount. And BP really prepares you for those as well, because that's a popular format, not just in Canada. Um, Actually, even just today, we had for U of T Heart House, we had our novice training day just today. So I didn't actually run any seminars. I just got to listen this time because I'm really, really old. It was definitely jarring being in the room. And I looked at like every single person in this Zoom call who is not a first year, I've already coached or like taught or explained BP to before. It was really interesting being like, nobody here has seen me as a novice. I've done the novice training day when all of these people were novices. But the nice thing is I got to see a lot of what was questions that really total beginners would have or people who are looking to make the transition into university. It's kind of nice, like it's fresh in my mind. What were the questions that were asked and what really worked effectively as explanations? So also really good for if you have few judges. That's another consideration if you're looking for how to organize your club. Since you only need one judge, um, ideally more, but only one judge for eight people instead of four. Great. So what does this format actually look like? Like how many speakers, how many teams? Like you briefly said that there's eight speakers, but how is it structured specifically? Right. So there's four teams and there's two speakers on each team. It's kind of hard for me to like show you, I guess, with just words over a podcast. But like if you literally looked at like it literally zigzags like from the top of your page, left, right. Okay, next line, left, right. Okay, next line, back and forth between eight speakers total. But what that means then for the four teams with two speakers is you have two teams that will open the debate where you'll have four speakers total. So we'll go government, opposition, government, opposition. If you listen to the intro debate, which I recommend you do before this, you'll be familiar with the terms government and opposition. But if not, those are just the teams that support the topic or oppose the topic. What happens in BP that's a little bit different is that instead of having just two teams, you then have two more teams who enter and do not really a second debate, but they continue the debate um, ideally in a different direction. So BP has the difference, I guess, that it's not win-loss only. You're also competing against another team on your own side. So you'll be ranked first place all the way to fourth place. Any team can take any ranking over any other team. Obviously, the structure is 
something that is more complicated. We'll talk more about strategy and individual speaker roles in future episodes. But we are also going to give an overlay of just like the order of a typical BP debate as well. So the first thing we want to start with is just talking about those speaker positions. So there are eight speakers, and you can kind of categorize each of the speakers into four categories based on the order they present in the side. So you would have on government, the prime minister first, and then on opposition, the leader of opposition. Those are called like leader speeches, first speakers, whatever. And then afterwards, you'd have the deputy prime minister on government and the deputy leader of opposition on opposition. And these are called the deputy speeches or the second speeches. So these are usually the first places that we start is grouping leader speeches and then deputy speeches. Then we have something called extension speeches. And these are the first speeches for the back half, which is the third and fourth team. These speeches try to add a new dimension to the debate. So you'll see a bit more when we talk about these speaker roles, what an extension is or what that new material is. But the core idea is they want to be different from their front half but also still important in the debate. So they're not just trying to have good arguments, but also unique arguments. And that's how the competition between the opening government and closing government or on opposition, the opening opposition and closing opposition comes into. And then finally, there's the whip speakers. So the whip speakers do kind of a biased summary about why specifically that closing team won the debate. So they can't bring up any new information. They just get to refute everybody. If you're the op whip, you get to respond to every single person in the round, which is great because you're the last speaker. So it's a lot of fun, but it's also a bit different from speeches because you don't build your arguments in prep um, and you don't deliver new ideas. So Nicole, I want to ask you what you think first speakers should generally try to do in their speeches, both on as prime minister and as leader of opposition. Yeah, sure. So I would say the first thing that first speakers should do is have a snappy introduction. So that's essentially a short but interesting start to a speech. So not only are you trying to draw in the attention of the judges and audience, but you also want to clearly state the stance that your team is on. And then after that, for a prime minister... Uh, or side proposition, you'll like to define the terms of the motion or also known as like modeling the debate. And we'll be going into a bit more detail on these terminologies in a future episode, but just really briefly, defining is essentially where you set the stage for the debate and also where you try to clarify any ambiguities in the motion. So for instance, if we have, say, the topic, this house would lower the voting age, but it doesn't say to what age, as prime minister, you want to stand up and say, okay, so the debate today, we will define um, the lowest age, uh, the minimum age as 16 years old. So that's essentially what I mean by clarifying any ambiguities in the motion. And this is only for prime minister. So side opposition does not model, does not define the motion. And then following that, you would like normally have two constructive points. So going back to our second episode about forming an argument, this is where you bring in the principled and the practical arguments. And then after that, you like to clearly say, so we are so proud to stand aside proposition or opposition. And that's essentially how you conclude a first speech. The model is definitely the trickiest part for people to get at first, especially not to bring in the same running joke every single week, but longtime followers of the pod all the way into our fourth episode of the series will remember the girl who gave 
a constructive argument about why zoos shouldn't be banned so that her mom doesn't have to take a Claritin every day. They could not understand how to model zoos, no matter how hard I tried. I asked them to set the house, and they set the house as Thailand because they saw a zoo in Thailand that had very poor animal rights. So something important to consider with your model is that it's meant to be fair and it's meant to clarify the debate. There's ways you obviously can be sneaky about it, but your overall goal is different from everything else you say, which is to win the debate. With a model, you just want to be clear. Don't just like randomly set the house or define, okay, so when it says this house, we actually think that the house is like the average like upper middle class family in like a downtown major China metropolitan city. Like that's not the house. A little too specific. (laughs) So Noah, what about second speakers? Like how is that normally structured? Great question. So um, when you're doing second speeches, you have one big goal in mind which is really making sure that like you are winning the main clashes that have appeared already in the first two speakers. If you're a DPM, you want to make sure that you're addressing the major point of contention between the leader speeches and as deputy leader of opposition between those two speeches, as well as how the deputy prime minister, so the speaker right before you engaged in that. And I think that the ways that you approach that are mainly through refutation, so mainly through attacking what you saw on the other side, but also rebuilding. So talking about your partner's points, tracing the refutation that was given to them and attacking that refutation so that you can prove that that point now actually stands in the debate still, or alternatively giving your own new ideas about why the argument is good, another reason that it's likely to be true. So you basically want to make sure that you identify that big clash and you're doing things like refutation and rebuilding in service of that clash. Something that I would say though is... A lot of people who might have come from a different style background will expect second speakers, especially like the deputy prime minister, to give an additional constructive point. That's completely optional in British parliamentary. So you can give a constructive, usually no more than one, the same as the first two speakers could have done. However, it can be considered a little bit scummy because it's difficult for the other side to respond as much. And it can be more strategic to uh, just shore up what you already have. So keep that in mind. It's an option. Your main goal is winning the clashes that have already emerged. That will be really easy if you have a motion with just at least two distinct arguments from the first two speakers each. Make that your focus and then add your own constructive ideas if you want. Yeah. So normally for Canadian parliamentary, it's just the first and second speakers. So after that, we go straight into summary speeches. But for British parliamentary, there's also the third and fourth speakers. So it's a little bit different. So Noah, what's the third speaker like? So actually, before I talk about the third speaker, I just want to say some things about closing in general to like bring in some of what I saw today for the training day. The first thing is you don't work with your front half team. So remember, you're not only trying to have different unique points, but you're not cooperating with them in any way. That includes during your prep time. So you do it all on your own. You also can't directly refute them or ask questions. I had a question that was like, what if your opening government sucks? And the answer to that is, then they suck. (laughs) Then they take the fourth and you try to not get the fourth. Just keep in mind, like your main goal is to have a new strong idea, not just a new idea and not just a strong idea, but like an idea that changes the debate in some way. So that's called an extension. It takes the form usually of a constructive point. 
So it's built the same way as the first and maybe the second speaker on front half would have given their constructive arguments. However, the way that it's different is it might already be premised on some arguments from your front half. You can just extend the analysis as long as you prove that that was useful analysis. It could also be entirely different. In either case, you want to try to tell the judge very explicitly why what you're saying is different from your front half in some way, either in importance or in the analysis actually adding something new. So for third speakers, if that's the way you think, or I guess like the first speaker on closing, um, extension speakers want to try their hardest to have some way to enter as a distinct team, especially keeping in mind like you can't attack your front half. So the only way you can beat your front half is by, I guess, having a better point, making sure that your point is the strongest one in the round, uh, really doing a good job to differentiate yourself. You have the luxury of being able to refute the opposing front half team. So if you're closing government, you can refute opening opposition and they can't reply because all of their speeches are done. It's easy enough to like try and refute a team that you're against. But keep in mind, like you are still in competition. So your extension has to reflect how you're differentiating from your front half team. So the team that's on the same side as you that spoke already. You also refute, you can refute anybody who's gone before you. Again, not your own team. You also can't POI them or ask them questions. If they suck too bad, they're going to get the fourth anyways. Just mind your own business and run a good case. It's something that is difficult to master, but conceptually is pretty straightforward. It's just the same way as you have two distinct arguments when you're prime minister, you want to have an argument that is distinct in the same way or manner as an extension speaker. So, Nicole, do you want to tell us about how whips work and what their role is in the debate? Sure. So whip speakers are essentially summary speakers. So they close off the whole debate in a way that makes it seem as if your side uh, actually won the debate. So generally what you like to do is summarize both your, your own arguments, but also your opponent's arguments, and then say how yours team specifically has taken down all of um, the other side's arguments and how they no longer stand and how your own arguments, like your side's argument, but specifically your team's, uh, your team's arguments still stand and how the opposition or the the opponent's arguments have not fully taken down your arguments. So that's essentially the role of the whip speaker. I saw a whip speaker today that was like refuting only the actual arguments and another one that was refuting only how the team actually built up their case from a rhetorical standpoint. And actually, both of those are really good things to include. So obviously, you don't want to go like, Oh, well, that was an ad hominem because you said that the elo was stupid, so you should lose the debate. Um, no, you want to like make sure that it's relevant to the debate. But the nice thing about whip speakers is when you're looking at the debate holistically, you're not just looking at like the arguments that were thrown out in 56 minutes of word salad. You're also looking at, did this team actually meet its burden? Did opening opposition have a sufficient mechanism in order to prove any of the actual consequences they said could be caused by this motion? These are really good questions that, yeah, anybody could ask, but as WIP, you really want to look out for. So keep in mind that you're summarizing, not exactly like a judge, but you're not just dealing with the actual content of the arguments. You also want to reflect on the overall strength and how arguments were built. The other thing that I also want to mention just about back half kind of more generally as we close this episode 
is when you're preparing, you can't collaborate with the front half, as I said, so you don't know what they're going to run. Just make sure that as the whip speaker, you're doing your best to help your partner come up with as many options as possible, especially because as whip, you certainly can't prep arguments because you're not supposed to deliver your own arguments. But as both back half speakers, you want to be flexible enough that you have options to enter the debate based on how your front half builds the case. So keep that in mind. We will obviously discuss how to prep in more detail and how to prep as back half in more detail. But that's the biggest mistake that I see and why people can't figure out how to get away from having the same extension that's already been given in the round. So just try to give yourself lots of options that are maybe not fully fleshed out before prep. I think that's the perfect way to end. So thank you so much for joining us for the Debate 101 series. Uh, stay tuned for more on This Housewood. Please follow our podcast and our Instagram at THW Debate Podcast. Thank you.